Thank you for the chance to be with you. Good morning. It's good to see you. Tell you, I'm looking around, and you know, I got to tell you this. You've been taking good care of yourself, because to be 123, <laughs> you really look great. And uh, good to be with you. Cheryl and I are glad to be with you on the 123rd uh, anniversary of the church. That is a tremendous uh, milestone to celebrate. And that's tremendous to us to get to be here. We spent, as Scott indicated, we served churches uh, in for 40 years in South Alabama, Northwest Florida, the Alabama-West Florida Conference, right across the Chattahoochee from South Georgia. And uh, one of my, a couple of my bishops came from South Georgia. There was uh, Frank Robertson, who was South Georgia bishop. There was Handy Hancock, who was uh, South Georgia. I had lots of good friends from here, like uh, Marion Edwards and folks like that. Uh, Vance Mathis, don't you appreciate a DS and preacher who still comes to church? I just, I just think it's the greatest thing in the world about this. You know, it just shows you he believes all that stuff he's been preaching all these years and, and still practicing it. Thank you for being here. Good to see you. And I, we ran into each other at a, a religious gathering the other day, the S&S Cafeteria. <laughs> One of my favorite places. And uh, Miriam, where's Miriam Hagen? Miriam, Mir- it's so good to see both of you here. Miriam and I were on, uh, I-, I was on just a short time. She's been on a while. We've been on the board of pensions of the United Methodist Church. They only oversee over $20 billion. And Miriam's on that because she knows about money. I'm, I never figured out why I was on there. But I always said to Miriam, can I just take a little bit of that home with me? Miriam, not, not, she wouldn't let me have a dime. It was unbelievable. Thank you, Scott. Uh, Dr. Scott Hagen and Julie and Sam and Jack, we appreciate them so very much. You have excellent pastoral leadership in this church. You, you've had that with pastors in the past, but you have, you, you have even continued to uh, see the level of expertise and excellence in serving Christ that we have in the South Georgia Conference. You also see that the appointment system really works. And Scott, thank you for representing us all so well. Uh, and, and Dr. Rick Lansford. Rick, thank you for being here because I know something others may not know. Rick and Kim are great friends. I appreciate them so much. But about three to four years ago, the annual conference went from nine districts where you had about 60, 65 churches that each DS worked with, and they downsized from nine districts to six, and the workload increased from about 60 to 65 to 100 churches that, the, that still one person uh, relates to. That is a tremendous increase in workload, and yet they, the, the DSs are the glue in the connectional system. And I just appreciate so much the excellent work that goes on there. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. I grew up in Bainbridge, Georgia. Anybody know about Bainbridge, Georgia? Grew up in Bainbridge. First 10 years, baby. Lived with my grandparents because of some family issues. Great thing they did was take me to First Methodist Church in Bainbridge. And as a result, I grew up always understanding what you want people to know in your church. I had, I was not at a deficit because of family problems. I had lots of mamas and daddies. That's what the church members are, right? And uh, so I was always surrounded by this incredible family uh, that wasn't accidental. They intended to be my spiritual mothers and fathers. 
and I'm very excited for that. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture, and before I do, I want to come back to this pulpit because I stayed down here all the time at the 9 o'clock service, and um, I'm so glad this pulpit is here. It's from across the street. It goes back to part of the history of the church. Um, symbols are very, very important, and um, I appreciate it being here today because it reminds us of all the people um, who have led worship, music, reading of Scripture. You know, typically, traditionally in churches you would have a, a pulpit where you preach and you'd have, then you had this place called the lectern from that Latin word lexio, which is reading, because in the early days before you had the printing press, nobody had a Bible. And so the Bible was the one there. And there was a special stand for the Bible, and you stood there, and there were special people, professional readers of Scripture, because it's the Word of God, and it was so important. So what a privilege it is to stand here and um, to read to you from Ephesians. And these days, I love the way we can have Scriptures memorized, which is a good idea. We can have them on screens. We have all kinds of translations. Uh, it was my... Some of my older church members at Montgomery First who used to tell me, when you're reading your Bible, it looks to you like I'm playing on my iPhone, but I've got a lot of, and I did the same. You know what you have on here? You've got your Bible now. And so I love that. Um, older members have taught me so much. Like the lady that Cheryl called said, I've been missing you at church. She said, well, I'm 92 years old. I've been sick. It's hard to get there. You know, it's hard for me to recover and been able to be at church because I've been, I'm 92. And Cheryl said, well, this service is on TV when you're not able to be there. I hope you turn on and watch your church service. She said, no, I, I would never watch the service on TV. I watch it on my iPad. When my 92-year-olds are watching it on their iPad, y'all, it's a new day. Uh, and I thank God for that. This is Ephesians, New Testament letter of the, to Paul to the Ephesians. Chapter 1. No, I'm going to read chapter 2, actually. I'm going to go back in a little bit and talk about chapter 1. But I want to read chapter 2 to start with here. Paul writes to this church. Now think about the context for just a moment. Ephesus one of the major cosmopolitan areas of the ancient world. 250,000 people living there. Big city. Uh, the church, tiny minority group. In Ephesus, there was the temple of the goddess Diana, pagan religion, pagan goddess Diana. Lots of people went there. This is a little bitty church trying to get a foothold in a pagan society. And to that group, the Apostle Paul writes, Ephesians 2, 1 through 5, You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were, by nature, children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. By grace 
you have been saved. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the, one of the true stories that you can appreciate because you are, after all, 123 years old. And, and one of the reasons you can appreciate that is a true story about Agatha Christie. Now, some of you, I'm certain, have never heard the name Agatha Christie. Is there anyone here who remembers that name, Agatha Christie? Thank you. Oh, I was hoping you would say that. Uh, Agatha Christie wrote Mystery, Mystery Writer. And uh, it turns out she was married to an archaeologist. And one day a person was interviewing her about one of her books and happened to get on to her husband and say, you're, I understand you're married to an archaeologist. What's it like being married to an archaeologist? And Agatha Christie said, oh, it's wonderful. The older I get, the more interesting he finds me. I, I remember that story because there's such a truth in it, isn't there? The older we get, we do not become less interesting to God, but more interesting to God. The older we get, the more useful to the kingdom of God we become because we've survived some things. We've endured some things. We've got a track record. We bring something to the table. It's a great thing about growing older. It's not a problem. It's not a detriment. Not something that we need to be embarrassed about. It's what uh, Agatha Christie said. The older I get, my husband just gets more and more exciting all the time. He's the archaeologist. So how excited must God be today over this church? 123 years? You, your church is interesting. You have an interesting history. And fortunately, unlike what is true for most churches, they just don't have this opportunity, you can walk next door to the 1894 sanctuary and step into that story. Is that amazing to you? Doesn't have to be imagination. You can walk in there. You can sing where people have sung for 123 years. You can pray where people have prayed. You can be in there and sense what it means to be a part of this story. You have an interesting story, and it's right next door here. It uh, goes back to 1894, the, uh, what was it, Sandy Run Methodist Church <laughs> that no longer exists, only it really does, it's here. <laughs> it, it gave birth to this church and comes on that way. Great, interesting story of all the people over 123 years who if they had not been faithful, we would not be here today. <laughs> so we thank God <laughs> for that. But then you have an interesting, very interesting current day you're living in an amazing area uh i note that over the last 25 years the population of bonaire has increased 129 percent that must be why they're building all those sidewalks i saw coming in here there's a lot going on right you live in an interesting time Bonaire's been here a long time, but you live an interesting time in the current reality in which you are involved. Not only that, but do you know what the median age in Bonaire is? Completely different than it is in most other areas. Your median age is 35 years. That means half the people in your area are under 35 years of age. And half are over 35 years of age. And those of us that are under 35 are glad y'all are here. Those of you that are over 35, we think that's great. One-third of all the people in your area 
are teenagers or younger. It's just an amazing, rich mix of folks here. Now, when you have so much, well, what are you going to do with this? I mean, when you're given a great history and you are given an incredible current reality community and a wonderful church, what are you going to do with that? Because the problem with people that have great potential is they can squander it. They can be susceptible to being misled. You remember that in the Bible, Jesus did well with the tax collectors and sinners. It was the people who thought they had potential that he got in trouble with. Pharisees, scribes, people who've been told all their life what great potential they had. Jesus does better with people like fixermen, tax collectors. And yet, it's wonderful to have great potential if we use it for the kingdom of God. And so I wonder if on our 123rd birthday, this could be the word of God for the people of God, what we found in Ephesians today, because this is God's vision for God's church. Before we get there, though, let me talk to you about the context of it. Back in chapter 1, there's a verse that saved my life years ago, because I reached a point where I wondered, I'm very busy, I'm doing a lot of things, what ties it together? What's the golden thread that makes meaningful what we're doing? What I was really asking is, what is God up to? What are you driving at, God? What does this all add up to? And then I read Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. You can read it in lots of different translations, and it's easy to be missed. I was reading in the New English Bible, which says this with great clarity. Listen to this. God has made known to us his hidden purpose. Well, that's what I want to know, God. To be put into effect when the time was ripe, namely that the universe, all in heaven and on earth, might be brought into a unity in Christ. That was amazing to me. That God has revealed God's purpose and that it happens to be God addressing the brokenness of the world I see around me and the brokenness in me, the hatred, the violence, the ugliness, the inhumanity. That is God's call to work, call to mission, call to action. And God's driving force that God works at every day is to unite everything that's broken and divided and separated in heaven and on earth and break it into a unity in Jesus Christ. I don't know if that lands in your, in your heart and soul with a thud like it does me, but if you were raised, as I was, in a family with spouse abuse and child abuse, if brokenness was your earliest experience of life, and to understand that God is on the side of your healing and the healing of all of society and all the people around you is absolute good news. That is the Word of God for the people of God. To know that, that God has declared God's direction. And it's very important for churches to know that so that we do not inadvertently let the culture around us get us all crossed up. So that we do not inadvertently let the loudest voices among us lead us astray. God is not on the side of hatred and violence and filth and ugliness and inhumanity and abusiveness. We must be clear about that. It's a wonderful thing to be able to make that plain. In today's world, wouldn't you agree? That's a powerful message today. But if the church isn't clear about it, 
we inadvertently perpetuate. I mean, the, the, the sociologist will tell you, I have a greater than average likelihood, given the fact that that abusiveness was not only in my parents, but, but in them going back several generations. I'm predisposed to fall in. I'm not, but I met Jesus Christ. That, that, that stuff's going to stop here. We're not carrying that forward. But, but local churches can have a future that's beautiful that we can invite people into if we understand that because I'm not the only person in the world to ever experience brokenness. It's all around us. Ernest Hemingway said, life breaks us all. Some become strong at the broken places. That's what God wants to do. But some church has to be able to say that and know that and own that or the message will just slide by. So we have to be clear about God's intent. And then that leads us to Ephesians 2, the passage I read. God, we appreciate the fact that your purpose is to unite all things, but it's a pretty rough world, God. Can you show me anywhere where you've been able to pull that off? In Ephesians 2, God says, For that purpose, I made you alive together in Christ. The best four-word definition of the church I know. People who know what it is to be dead and who are now alive together in Jesus Christ. The church has always been God's way of saying to the world, see, I can do it. I can pull together people who otherwise would never be together with each other. People who know what it is to be crossed up. People who understand all that's going on in the world, because they've been a part of it, they get it. But they know how to do together. Don't you love those four words? Say it with me. Alive together in Christ. One more time. Alive together. I'm telling you what now, the more you say it, it's like chocolate. The more you want, the more you say it. And, uh, and, and always remember, there is that in life which is opposed to God and doesn't want you to say it. That's why that's such a prophetic, important phrase to know. Alive together in Christ. Because the world doesn't know how to do together. We know how to do separate, don't we? We know how to do hatred. We know how to do animosity. We know how to do passing on rumors about one another. We know how to do breaking relationships. In fact, let me do a little check with you. Is there anybody here that needs me to give you lessons on how to tick off other people? Hadn't you pretty much been doing okay on that yourself? Hadn't you pretty much got that down by now? You know how to tick them off. You know how to tick off other people. But who do you know that knows how to do together? Who do you know that you say, well, well let, let her be in the midst of that. Let him be in the midst of that because they'll bring the healing power of Jesus Christ. I mean, we, we, we better be identifying some people who know how to do together. Or we capitulate to those who want to keep us apart and who are well served by division. Well, Jesus Christ took my broken little life and put it together. But it was a church that did that. I want to be part of a church. I want to envision the future and the future of our world where we're closer together than ever. We can know more about each other than ever. We can't hide from each other. So somebody better learn how to do together. God says it's the church. A friend of mine 
was part of a church that was growing, and he was afraid they might be missing the fact that God was bringing all kinds of birds of different feathers into that church, and that that wasn't a bad thing, because they were different from each other. And so he wrote this on the front page of his newsletter. It was a church along the Gulf Coast of Florida. All kind of people go to Florida. You know what I mean? All of them came through here the other day, didn't they? Now they've all gone back. Okay. Here's what he wrote on the front page of his newsletter. To his church. He must have felt really confident about his, ro- his relationship to his district superintendent. Or the bishop. Because this is what he wrote. Some of you in this church are so liberal that the mere mention of the name Rush Limbaugh makes you break out in hives. And some of you in this church are so conservative. You're like the hundred-year-old man who was interviewed on his birthday, and the reporter said, a hundred years old? You've seen lots of changes in your life, haven't you? And he said, yep, and I've been against every one of them. (laughs) And then my friend said, both of you are in this church. And we like it that way. Because only Jesus could bring you together. And when you come together, you have dividing walls between you. The church isn't a place to play nice, to pretend things are different than they are. We know about dividing walls. Paul mentions this in Ephesians 2. When Jews and Gentiles come together in the church, there's an icy wall of hostility there. That's real, but it's not the last word. In Jesus, the wall comes down. And Christ becomes our peace. And one new humanity emerges. God's looking for a church that wants to dream that vision. See, the vision's already there. We don't get to choose the vision for God's church. What God would like to know is, is there a church whose people are willing to say, Lord, we get it. You're driving after this. You created the church to be alive together in Christ. And we'd like to show our community what together looks like. Let me tell you. That'd be a great vision for you because you're in a community that's going to continue to have lots of people moving into it. Have you noticed they're coming? They're coming. They're moving in. They're going to keep, because you're so nice, they're going to keep moving to be near you. Great education. All of that. And then there's going to be a lot of diversity. Some of them, not all of them are going to be handsome, bald-headed people. Some of them may have a lot of hair on their head. I I know it's distasteful, but they'll be coming in. I I don't understand it. Never can tell. I, we, we, went to, uh, we, we went to visit uh, South Columbus Methodist Church in Columbus, Georgia. It's one of our large, strong, historically African-American congregations, and Reggie Williams was there and, um, as a pastor. And I pulled up in the parking lot, and, and this fellow named Milton comes out, and, and Milton, Cheryl and I got out of the car, and, and Milton came out and said, the pastor told me to come to, to look for two Caucasians. And I pointed to Cheryl and said, well, there's one right there. Let's, let's just take her on in the church right here. We were welcomed beautifully and wonderfully. It's in our DNA if we understand the Bible. I love it when we say we believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God and then live in some other way. But if we believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God and if God says it's all about being alive together in Christ then God's ready for a church that will raise its hand 
they do it here, Lord. <laughs> because our world needs it. Can you see how that kind of church will be radically appealing today? And it's important that on the streets of our community, we say that to people. My church is alive together in Christ. Because the world's not going to be able to teach people how to do together. Um, Howard Thurman has this wonderful writing that uh, I, I, I try to live by. I think it's true. Never heard it said better than this. Howard Thurman, the African-American teacher and preacher at Boston University before his death, um, said, um, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that. Because what the world needs is people who come alive. Wouldn't you agree that's what the world needs? People who are not stuck back in some hatred, some ancient animosity. <laughs> don't you like being around people that are alive? So don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive. Go do that. Because what the world needs is a church that has come alive. May it be so, O oh God as we celebrate 123 years and look forward to the interesting future this church is going to have, alive together in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.